Hello and welcome to Bunker Gold, where we choose a golden oldie for you to re-listen to or catch for the first time if you missed it before. In this episode from May 2022, Andrew Harrison spoke to Frank Marshy from the SETI Institute to ask what would happen if we were to encounter aliens and consider if they know we're already here, but just think we're too boring to bother with. Hello, I'm Andrew Harrison. Welcome to The Bunker Daily. If, like me, you believe, or maybe you wish, that we're not alone in the universe, then June 2021 was a big month for people like us. A US government report to Congress said that defence and intelligent analysts lack sufficient data to identify mysterious flying objects that American military pilots had observed, including whether they were unidentified Earth technology, atmospherics, or alien in origin. In short, the report reversed 80 years of debunking and denial from the US government, dating back to the UFO scares of the 40s and 50s. It wasn't saying that UFOs, or UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena, were real. It just couldn't say what they were. And not long afterwards, a mathematical research team from the University of Durham came at the question of extraterrestrial life from another angle. To answer the question of why humans appeared so soon after the Big Bang, they modelled the rise and fall of civilizations, mapped them against the age of the universe, and concluded that certain civilizations of acquisitive, expansionary, grabby aliens exist, and that we could expect to encounter one in about a billion years' time. But what if it happens sooner? How would we best manage an actual first contact? Could we even communicate with an alien civilization? Should we even want to? To talk over these weighty ideas, we have Frank Marchis, Senior Planetary Astronomer at the SETI Institute, America's only organization dedicated solely to the search for extraterrestrial life. Hello, Frank. How are you and where are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm in San Francisco right now in my shade, my legendary shade. Apparently, people know me for that. That's where I work in the morning before going to my office in in downtown San Francisco. From your shed to the universe. Firstly, I mean, I think people tend to think of SETI as a thing or an object, like the Hubble telescope, but it isn't, is it? It's a collection of practices. Tell us about SETI. So SETI is a field of research. The SETI Institute is an institute which has dedicated a significant part of his research to the SETI research, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. There is different way to find intelligence in our universe. Uh, what we want to do is to detect maybe a signal coming from a civilization. We want to find megastructures built by civilization around, around exoplanets or see the city of lights around the exoplanets, planets in orbit around other stars. Or eventually, we may find life in our own solar system. We still did not explore yet the entire solar system, so we cannot reject the idea that they, maybe there is another intelligent life in our own solar system. These are the intelligent squids of the deep oceans of Europa that I keep wanting to find out about. That's correct. We have not yet fully explored the, the ocean of Europa or the pocket of water in Enceladus or the caves of Mars or even the trans-Neptunian objects. So maybe there, there is something interesting that we have not seen yet, life or something like that. So, so where are we at the moment in the search for extraterrestrial intelligent life? Because SETI has been through many phases. You've used many different techniques of exploring via radio telescopes, via microwave arrays. I mean, obviously, we haven't actually found anything yet, but what, 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 what stage is the exploration? How, how much of the visible universe have we surveyed for this? So, yeah, SETI started 35, 40 years ago. Project OSMA was basically the first attempt to detect techno-signature 
using a radar antenna, the Green Bank. This was done by Frank Drack in the 60s. Frank was extremely optimistic at the time. He basically pointed the antenna toward two stars and thought that he will detect the signal coming from an intelligent civilization by simply listening those two stars. Now we have basically not found yet uh, techno signatures. Uh, we have facilities that the L Allen Telescope Array that can listen to 100 million stars and, uh, and Mercat as well. So we have basically listened to, I would say, 200 million stars so far. It seems to be a big number, but it's not, considering that there is 400 billion stars in our own galaxy. Jill Tarter, one of the founders of the SETI Institute, used to say that saying that we did not find life now is like saying, well, we go in the middle of the ocean on a boat, you take a glass of water, you take some water from the ocean, you look at the water, you don't see a fish. So you say <laughs> there is no fish and there is no life. We basically just started this search. Well, one thing that we have discovered in recent memory are the first exoplanets and in fact the first earth-like exoplanets i.e planets orbiting other stars other than our own and planets that have many of the characteristics of earth you know water atmospheres and so forth are any of these exoplanets that we've discovered candidates for life is there any reason to believe that there might be life on them Yes, uh, you mentioned this is the revolution, in fact, and that's why I'm very excited to be, a, to be a working at the SETI Institute. We know now that at least 300 million of those exoplanets could be potentially habitable, meaning they could have liquid water. It's very anthropocentric to say that liquid water will mean life, mm -hmm. but it's because we're simply looking at our planet and we found out that 500 million after the formation of Earth, when liquid water was on the surface of the planet, life started. Life thrived very early after the formation. So we are very optimistic now, knowing those numbers, that there could be life, microbiological life, at least in, in our galaxy elsewhere. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, that University of Durham statistical research pointed out that life did appear on Earth with indecent haste, indicating that perhaps life itself is of extraterrestrial origin. This is the, the theory that has the horrible name panspermia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's possible that life, in fact, it's, um, it's everywhere and mm. it's spread like a disease through the galaxy. But now the question, the most important question for SETI, and that's the I in SETI, is intelligent life. And that's a very different problem. I personally believe that there is life everywhere, microbiological life everywhere. I think it's, we're going to find that very quickly, even in our own solar system. But now intelligence, it's another, another step. Is it possible to, you mentioned the idea that, you know, the, the existence of water is quite an anthropocentric idea. Do we have an anthropocentric idea of what intelligence is? Because we do know there are other kinds of intelligence on our own planet. That's a very good question. And in fact, that's one of the main research I'm doing at the moment. Our intelligence is what we call a biological technological civilization, meaning that we are, we are a biological species, we are intelligent, and we, we have design and we have a technology. If you look on our own planet, there is other type of intelligence. Wells, you dog, they are intelligent. They don't need to build houses, towers, computers. They're happy the way they are, and they are intelligent. So maybe this technological intelligence that we are is something very rare, 
something that is not, in fact, a natural evolution in species. Maybe most species become some kind of intelligent, fully adapted to the planet, fully adapted to the environment, like whales and dolphins in the ocean. The idea of encountering an alien civilization, an alien intelligence, I think it's possibly a little bit science fiction-y to imagine that there will be a physical first contact in the near future, the idea that you will actually physically encounter them. But if we were to discover incontrovertible proof that there was an alien civilization out there, the markers that you described, you know, communication waves, evidence of, you know, megastructures, large creations of, you know, evidence of technology. What does that do to societies on Earth when we discover that we are not the only intelligent civilization in the universe? Well, I would say that the first step is we need to realize that one third of the population on this planet is confident that there is other type of technological intelligence in our galaxy. So this discovery will not be a big surprise for a lot of humans on this planet. On the societal point of view and philosophical, one of the reasons I think this will be important is because it will basically give us an idea that we are not an anomaly in the evolution of species, to go back to my first point. Hmm. If we find a technological civilization like us, we will know that we have a future as a technical civilization. We are not alone. Not alone as an intelligent species, but not alone as a biological, technological species. And it's like having a brother suddenly that you will be capable of talking to, rely to, exchange information, and maybe find that a better way to design your own future. So you say it as a reassuring thing, that we're not alone in the universe and not absolutely guaranteed to wipe ourselves out. Is there not also the possibility that we might experience a a kind of societal inferiority complex? Because, I mean, look, I mean, full disclosure, I've read a lot of science fiction in my time. And many in many of the depictions of this, sci-fi often shows Earth collapsing into a kind of lassitude or even worshipping the aliens the way say, you know, the Mayans or the Native Americans did when Western invaders, you could call them, came to their, their countries. Is there a danger that that might happen, that we might sort of see this, these alien civilizations and think that, you know, we were, we were by nature inferior? Yes, it's totally possible. And unfortunately, if you look at the evolution of technological civilization, it's accelerating over time. If you go back in time in 20 years ago, you didn't have internet and the world was extremely different. If you go back in time from the 1940 to the 1910, the, the world was not that different. So now my point is that if we find a civilization which is slightly more advanced in years compared to us, like 100 years, they may be extremely different in terms of technology. They may have invented already some better way to communicate based on quantum entanglement or anything like that, which are extremely exotic to us, master the fusion reactors, etc. So they will be way more advanced, even though they are slightly slightly older than us. Mm. And then we will have this complex of inferiority with them. That's maybe the reason we don't have yet, we have not yet seen aliens. That's the best answer, in fact, in my mind to the Fermi paradox. Oh, yes. Well, tell us about the Fermi paradox, because this is something that kind of governs this whole, this whole area of thought, isn't it? Yeah, the Fermi paradox, the idea is that if there is civilization in our galaxy, some of them are extremely more advanced than us. So just to summarize and to make it very simple, 
you look at the sky, you should be seeing some of the proof of those civilizations, some spaceship flying, some wormhole being created, something. We don't see that. So where are those aliens? Well, my point is that maybe they are slightly more advanced in technology compared to us. And in this case, we will not see them because they are technologically so advanced that this technology is invisible to us. Or perhaps they're treating us as a site of special scientific interest, which should not be interfered with yet. That's the best solution for them. Because if they're more advanced, they could be also more advanced in the way that they know uh, what kind of... Uh, uh, they may have already encountered other civilization. They may have already destroyed other civilization. So they may say, okay, you need to stop this. We're not going to have first contact until this civilization, civilization has reached this level of technology. Maybe that's what they're doing. How do we best communicate with an alien civilization which may not use language that we can conceptualize or even may not use thought that we can conceptualize? How can we communicate with aliens when we can't even effectively communicate with our dogs? Wow, that, that's a very <laughs> difficult question. <laughs> but the, the, the physicists in, my, in me will say, well, we use the, the natural language, which, which could be mathematics, of course. Mm. But in fact, you look, mathematics has changed a lot over the past 400 years, and the future of mathematics will be extremely different. Now we know about machine learning and, and so on, and constructor theory, and all of these extremely exotic theories that are coming and will blossom and will change radically the way we do science. Hmm. So communication with in, in the species, even slightly more advanced by, compared to us, will be difficult. May may not have the same kind of concept of time like we have seen in this movie. I don't. I forgot the name. It's Arrival, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Which, which, in which there is a linguist. The central role of Amy Adams. She's a linguist and trying to communicate with the heptapods who have a different concept of time and a different concept of language. Yeah, they are. Maybe they have a very different society based on this kind of ant society. In this case, probably the communication will be different because some of the species will not be able to explain everything. I mean, I don't know. In my mind, this will be a new field of research when we will find a contact. And that will be probably the first thing. What I anticipate, frankly, is that we will find a life on exoplanets first, probably signature of biological uh, activity. And then we will develop new instruments and those instruments will be capable of taking pictures of exoplanets. And one of them may have something kind of light of cities or an excess of heat due to the fact that there is a technology. And then we will try to communicate with them and it will take us years, 100 years to be able to basically comprehend each other. Mm -hmm. That would be a new field of research. Are you aware that there are any sort of political protocols in governments or even in the UN and places like that, to deal with the eventuality of proof of, of, of alien civilization? Because it seems like something that ought to be managed at a, at a planet level. Is anybody doing this? Is anybody thinking about it? Yes, there is the SETI Permanent Committee at the International Academy of Astronautics. I am part of it together with, uh, I think there is 70 scientists. And we meet every year at the IAC. It's a conference. And we basically discussed some of the progress made by SETI. And uh, in 2010, they basically anonymously adopted a kind of um, 
a protocol, a declaration of principle on how we're going to conduct the search and how we're going to make the announcement of the search. So there is an entire text explaining that how we, we do the search, the transparency, but also emphasizing the confirmation of the, if there is a candidate and how this news is going to be brought to the people, to the public. There is multiple groups that will be made aware of that, including the International Astronomical Union and the Secretary General of the United Nations, if we find a signal. So there is, there is already a procedure, a protocol. It's been accepted by this group, and I hope it will be followed if this, this happens, of course. Does it also entail sort of briefing people like, I don't know, the Pope or, you know, all the sorts of society leaders? Because not everyone listen, is basing their worldview purely on science. I'm just looking at it right now, and no, the Pope is not mentioned. It's mentioned the public, <laughs> the scientific community, the Secretary General of the United Nations, and the formal report will be made together with the International Astronomical Union. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not a, an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Is it wise for us to draw attention to ourselves in, in this way? And anybody who's read the Three-Body Problem series of books by Xichin Liu knows that the human race eventually decides to hide in what it calls the dark forest of the universe rather than risk detection and therefore probable annihilation. So SETI is trying to detect extraterrestrial life. Is it unwise for other um, organisations perhaps to try and send signals out that would enable extraterrestrial civilizations to detect us. So I want to clarify that SETI is not about emitting signal. It's about mm. listening. So we do not, we are not METI. METI is what you mentioned. I see. Like sending the signal to space. I'm just, my, I'm going to give my point of view on this because sure. I think this is a bit ridiculous that we're having this conversation because if a civilization is slightly more advanced than us, let's say like 50 years in the future, compared to us, they already built something kind of a space telescope like Luvoir or one of these gigantic telescopes that we have in our, uh, in our plans with NASA. And they have pointed this telescope to our, our solar system and they already can see Earth. Mm. And they already can analyze the atmosphere of Earth. And it's obvious that if you analyze the atmosphere of our planet, that you have a technological civilization on it. You can simply detect CFC, see an increase of carbon dioxide. If you have a better sensitive instrument, you see the light of the cities. And if you have even a better instrument like radio antenna and so on, you can even get the messages, the TV, the radio, and the radar. So we have been noisy for the past 50 years in, in radio. We have been visible as a civilization for at least 100 years. So they know we are here if they have slightly better civil better technology. It doesn't matter if you point a telescope, radar antenna, and we send and broadcast a message to our uh, a globular cluster. It doesn't matter because they are already 
they know already yeah. with the instrument that we are here and uh, they're probably listening to us and watching us. So if something was going to happen, you think it would have happened already? Yeah. And my, why did not happen? That's a good question. <laughs> why it did not happen yet? <laughs> The alternatives include they're just so elevated uh, in in their civilization that they've gone beyond the crude imperialism that humans would have carried out. Or equally, we are just so inconsequential and boring that we're not worth bothering with. That's. I think the second one is the best answer to this. <laughs> are, are we, <laughs> we are also, probably extremely boring for those for yeah. them. Are we also protected by distance, though? Because the the phenomenal. I mean, we, you know, we have projected our existence for a hundred light years in a sphere, a hundred light years in each direction has been receiving our noise, as you describe it. Mm -hmm. That's a long way for anyone to to travel to reach the most yeah. boring civilization in the universe. Us. And look, I'm, um, I'm just going to play the game. We are a civilization right now, okay? Mm -hmm. And we know that there is uh, this very primitive civilization on the planet called Earth, which is 100 light years away from us. In 100 light years radius, there is a lot of very interesting stars, a lot of interesting world with planets which are probably more adapted to my own environment. Mm -hmm. Why will I waste my energy to go over there when I can just expand <laughs> my civilization and simply enjoy the fact that I have a, a mega civilization and we are mastering the, the planets and, uh, and developing technology, art, and consciousness instead of wasting my time with these tiny ants over there which are still fighting about anything from whether or not they should wear a mask or things like that. Frankly, I will spend my time do developing my own civilization instead. <laughs> is, it, is it possible to say what, you know, obviously you thought in great depth about the forces that generate civilizations, help them to expand, maybe limit them. Is it possible to say what this kind of civilizations we might encounter might be like i mean does does interstellar travel presuppose a civilization like ours as you said a technological biological one or you know a hierarchical one which thinks the way ours does or you know is it likely that the civilizations we encounter are immensely different from us well that's also a very good question about the how civilization evolve and i will say that a technological, biological civilization is probably not a stable civilization. Somehow we have this moment in our civilization, we're going to have to take drastic decision on our own future. Meaning that we are starting building machines which are getting as smart as us. So one way or another, we will have to kind of integrate those machines into our consciousness and become part of it, or the machine will become part of us. So maybe the future of our civilization is not to be biological, it's to be purely mechanical or kind of computerized. Mm. Uh, maybe human will disappear as, uh, as the, with the body we have so far and become machines. That's the future of a civilization. Mm. Or maybe we can go to, to, to the opposite direction. Maybe human decide that, you know, uh, building all of these things, all of these, uh, these computers and all of this technology and destroying our planet is not a good choice. Maybe we should just simply modify humans so we are fully adapted to our own environment and become kind of the wells of the, of the ground, of the continents, and live happily and intelligent but fully adapted to our own environment. And that we can do that by genetically modifying ourselves. So I'm saying that it looks kind of crazy because I think a civilization has to take this, has to take this kind of decision somehow they will modify themselves, they will become machine. 
And that's maybe that's that's what happen- is happening on the long term. One more thing on the nature of, of these civilizations. Can we be certain that alien minds will even consider us to be alive? I mean, there's a lot in, again, in science fiction of, of the aliens come and they just ignore us. Uh, there's a great comic book by Warren Ellis called Trees, where aliens arrive here and they simply plant their roots and begin to absorb the resources. They pay no attention to humans. There's the great book, Roadside Picnic, by the, the Russian authors, the Strugatsi brothers, where aliens just warp the world out of any recognizable shape without even knowing it, without even caring. Are, are we, are we kind of think, are we thinking too much of ourselves to imagine they'd even recognize our existence? Yeah, we, uh, we really think that we are the pinnacle of, uh, of evolution, but maybe a civilization, an advanced civilization will come on Earth and will be more interesting in the end because they look like them, or maybe more to the whales because they have this fully adapted, uh, they are fully adapted to the planet. And they will consider that we are, in fact, some kind of cancer to this planet and which they don't even pay attention to us because they, they went through this process already. I don't know if I'm answering to your question, but it's true that an intelligent civilization may be looking for an intelligence that kind of look like them so maybe they will not pay attention mostly to us and they will be looking at other type of intelligence of, on our planet. I want to ask you, just in closing, about your own experience of SETO research. Obviously, you handle everything from data to the conceptual aspect of it. Have you ever had a moment when the information has kind of made the hairs on your neck stand up and made you think we have found something here, a kind of statistical close encounter? Not myself personally. But I know that people who do radar observations specifically, they have some moments like that where they think they have found something and generally they kind of go through the, through the data and they realize there is uh, nothing. Uh, Frank Drake gave a speech, I think it was 10 years ago, where he mentioned that in fact, with radar, we do see those signals that we cannot explain. We have the wall signal in the 1957, for instance, is one of them. There is more of those. There is, we used to have a table like this where we, can have, we see there is millions of signals and there is like one or two that we never really truly explain. Mm. So I don't know where they are. Maybe they are uh, some issue in the electronics, some kind of unknown, unknown things that we did not, uh, some unknown signal, or maybe they were extraterrestrial. But we cannot claim what we detected aliens because in 1957, we detected the wall signal. This is such a big discovery that you need to have more people observing it. You will need to have an analysis of the signal. You will need to be repeated and analyzed over a sufficient amount of time so we know it's truly alien. Uh-huh. So myself, I didn't, it did not happen to me, but I know that... With the development of technology and the next generation of space telescope, we will probably find exoplanets, image them, analyze the atmosphere, and we will see probably some kind of weird signatures in the atmosphere. And there will be a huge debate whether or not those are technological or existence of life, biological. There will be a lot of conversation and journalists will talk a lot about debates between scientists about this planet and whether or not this planet has life on the surface or not. Hmm. So it's an exciting time for astronomers, definitely. Yeah. How did you feel when that that strange and kind of anomalous Oumuamua, the scout object, entered our solar system in 2017? This was the very strangely shaped dark object that's 
I think it traveled to like 10,000 years from outside the solar system. And many, many people speculated that it might be artificial in origin. I personally don't believe it's artificial in artificial because we have seen a lot of asteroids which are this kind of shape and so on. But I regret that we detected it when he was leaving the solar system. I wish we had observed this when he was coming to us so we have the time to point more instruments toward it to truly understand the nature of this object. Fortunately, we are building those telescopes that will be able to see more Oumuamua in the future. Um, the Vera Rubin telescope, the 8-meter class telescope that will survey the entire sky uh, every three days, will probably find more of those Oumuamua-like objects coming from the outer part of the solar system or from another planetary system. So we will see whether or not those are natural or artificial. This is something I often say to people who talk to me about UFO and UAPs. It's very surprising that military people see a lot of them, but astronomers which, has, which have all-sky camera observing the sky 24-7 now, we don't see them. So there is something here weird. Mm. That's, there is a, differ- a dichotomy between those two fields. Field. Astronomers, we don't see those things. We will announce them if we find, if you see something flying in the sky, which has a, an erratic orbit, of course it will excite everybody. Of course we will, someone will leak this. And we have not seen that yet. And now we go to, uh, we talk to the military and they claim they have 400 recordings of something like this. So something mysterious here that we need to clarify. We do. Frank Murchis of the SETI Institute, thank you so much for joining me. This has been fascinating stuff. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you for having me. All right. Listeners, if this podcast has piqued your interest, do check out SETI.org. That's S-E-T-I dot org for the latest on how Frank and his friends are working night and day to bring the aliens to us. While we wait for the Trisolarian Armada, we have several hundred years to wait for that as well. Why not back the bunker on Patreon and help us keep making podcasts? You'll get early episodes and exclusive merchandise, and you can listen in your own bunker as the sources descend. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow with another interesting Bunker Daily. Till then, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Bunker Daily was presented by Andrew Harrison. The producers were Jacob Archbold, Jelena Sofronievich and Alex Rees. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. Group editor Andrew Harrison, theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. 